Well, as we continue to go through the Gospel of Luke, and we're just covering the birth of Christ, uh, we also, uh, through this time, preparing our hearts for the word for the celebration of Christmas too. So, if you have Bibles, take them and please turn them with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter two is where we'll be this morning. We're just continuing along. We're in Luke chapter two, verses eight through fourteen. Luke two eight through fourteen is where we'll be today. And I'll read the whole text, uh, at least the all seven verses here. The Dr. Luke writes these words. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. God bless the reading of his word. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, thank you for your holy word. Once again, we thank you that you make your will, make your will known to us. You make your words known to us. Lord, we would not know anything about our world. We would not know anything about ourselves. We would not know anything that we could that we need to know to have a restored relationship with you, our Creator. Much less we would have nothing. We would know nothing of our sin and our need of a Savior. But yet, Lord, you, in your mercy, in your grace, in your wisdom, and in your providence, have preserved and have inspired your holy word for us. And Lord, as we open it this morning, we open it up for the treasure that it is. It is your words, not man's words. Words that tell us good news, even as we live in a world that is cursed by sin. Father, we pray that as we look to your word this morning, that you would, that you would give us hope, that you would give us joy, you give us a greater sense of peace today. As we study this passage that details the significance of the birth of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our God. Father, we pray that you would be glorified through the the exposition of your word. May your spirit be our teacher this morning. May you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll start with... uh, an article that I came across, well, actually a, a report that I came across this week. And it's a, it's a report. It's actually a, a, was a, a letter penned by a pastor in China, a Chinese pastor. You, maybe if you followed the news recently, you would have seen maybe, actually they even had, there was a New York Times article about it as well. But uh, China, the People's Republic of China, has been cracking down on uh, religious groups, at least groups that, are, uh, that they can't control. Uh, and uh, they have been, uh, they had already, earlier in the year, had uh, basically broken up a, a major uh, quote unquote underground church in Beijing, uh, so the capital of China. So it was, you know, that, was, that set the tone. The, if they're not going to be afraid to shut down churches in the, their capital, they're not going to be afraid to shut down churches anywhere. And so uh, this past week they shut down a church in Chengdu. Uh, in Chengdu, China, and there was a this church. Uh, it's a, actually a pretty conservative church. It's a Bible teaching church called Early Rain Covenant Church. I think it's the Reformed Presbyterian Church. But uh, and he, the pastor, Pastor Wang Yi uh, uh, of this church, he had penned a letter to basically be released uh, if he had been held and arrested and held in detention more than forty eight hours. And he was arrested. Uh, his wife was arrested, and forty eight hours later, his the church released this statement. And so I was greatly encouraged by this. I hope uh, you, maybe you came across it. But he calls it my declaration of faithful disobedience. Uh, basically, he's 
they're practicing civil disobedience uh, because they believe that the laws uh, that were uh, the laws of the land are, are unjust or causing them to, uh, against the, the gospel, and that they were uh, they needed to obey God rather than men. But what stood out for this letter was the priority in which the pastor places upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the Savior, our Lord Jesus, being born and coming to this world to bring salvation to sinners. <clears throat> and so uh, there was just this emphasis on the gospel. You would think uh, he would want to uh, maybe <clears throat> write a letter. If we were arrested, we'd want to say, you know, we're, it's unjust or we're, we want to be freed or we want to, be, uh, want to fight against this, uh, this evil system that we're under. But he doesn't write that at all. And I just I want to put a little, uh, just a, a, I put up a few of the words that he did write in pen. Uh, he talked about his, uh, his arrest. But this does not mean that my personal disobedience and the disobedience of the church is in any sense fighting for rights or political activism in the form of civil disobedience. Because I do not have the intention of changing any institutions or laws of China. As a pastor, the only thing I care about is the disruption of man's sinful nature by this faithful disobedience and the testimony it bears for the cross of Christ. As a pastor, my disobedience is one part of the gospel commission. Um, <clears throat> just powerful words from a man who has been arrested, his wife's arrested, separated from family. Uh, many of the le- all, all the elders of the church have now been arrested uh, and uh, detained, and uh, many other uh, saints are, are being harassed uh, in China. So pray for the church there. But it's just so encouraging, very refreshing, very... Um, if you will, especially us in our American side, we, we, we don't experience this kind of persecution, but it was just very eye-opening, very profound to be reminded again of the priority of the gospel for the church. This man of all the things he could be fighting against is fighting for something. He's fighting for the gospel. Very powerful. It shows us how imp- important the gospel is for him, but it's not should not be surprising that he makes the gospel, that is the proclamation of good news of salvation through the forgiveness of sins found in the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is exactly what our Savior came to do. Our Savior came to bring, and to bring about and proclaim the gospel, the good news. And as we look at our passage today, we, we're reminded of, the, of this, the good news of our Savior's birth. That even in this, in the, uh, in that moment when the birth of Savior was, or birth of Jesus was, took place, we find this great announcement of good news, of great joy. To the Israelite nation under the rule of a foreign king, Herod the Great, it was a, and it was a, to a, a nation that was a, a basically a vassal of the Roman Empire, ruled by uh, basically a totalitarian leader uh, by the name of Augustus Caesar. God gave them deliverance, but not the kind of deliverance they looked for. God gave them a deliverance from sin through the, through the birth and coming of the Savior. That's what the church then needed. And even to think about the church in China right now, what God has given them, God has not given, promised them deliverance from their political oppression, but God has given them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they hold on to that. And that is their strength. Brothers and sisters, that is our strength. That is our hope. We may not be going through the extents of, of the difficult circumstances that the church in China are going through. But we too in our world, we, we go through different ups, uh, ups and downs of life. We go through ailments. We go through trials. We go through difficulties as well. And the things that we would want, the things that we fight for, they're all maybe fine. And they might be even the things that the world would say, that's the right thing to fight for. But what we treasure and what we fight for, what we hold on to, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news that is reflected in the passage that we find today. It is good news of great joy, and it transforms our life. It grips our life, and it's our message that we proclaim as well.
This message of the gospel reminds us of our greatest need. It reminds us of what our greatest treasure is, and that is it is in Jesus. He is our greatest need. He is our greatest treasure. Last week, we, as we just simply reviewed, <clears throat> we're gonna, we'll look at Luke chapter 2 in a little closer detail. A passage that's usually preached in, in one sermon. I wanted to break it down into three sermons because, uh, so that we could focus on the details within the text. Uh, we looked at last week the birth of Christ in verse 1 to 7. This week we're going to look at the announcement of the birth of Christ in verse 8 to 14. And next week we're going to look at the response to the announcement of the birth of Christ in verses 15 to 20. Luke records for us these details as he writes in his uh, prologue that these, that we might, as we read them, have assurance that we would know for sure of the things that we have been taught, the things that we've learned, the things that we say we believe. That's what this gospel is for. It strengthens and assures us of what we believe in. As an outline of our passage today, we're going to look at three aspects of the announcement of the Savior's birth that give us reason to hope and rejoice. This, through these aspects of the announcement, give hope to the church of Jesus Christ, wherever it is, whether in China, whether here in America, whether back in the days of Caesar Augustus or in the days of Donald Trump. We need the gospel, this, this good news of great joy to give us hope and give us joy. All right, let's take a look then at these, uh, these three aspects of this announcement. First of all, as we look, read this text, we're going to see that the first aspect is the angel's appearance. There's an angelic appearance here in verses 8 through 9. Uh, in these first two verses, essentially we are given the setting of our passage. We learn here that the, the, where it takes place is the same region. What same region is this? Well, just a few verses before, in verses 1 through 7, we find that this is the region of Bethlehem. This is the Bethlehem where Joseph and his wife Mary have gone to register for the census. It is where Mary, who was uh, expecting, had come in full, had, the days were fulfilled for her to give birth. And it was exactly there in that region of Bethlehem where she had given birth to her firstborn son. Who this passage involves, this uh, is revealed here in the, in the verse 8 as well. It involves some shepherds. Who are these shepherds? They, are, they were those who were basically responsible for keeping watch over the flock, usually sheep or goats or some other animals. But they, were, they would stay out in the fields and they, were, they would watch over their flocks and, and protect them from wolves and for different thieves that might want to steal or harm the sheep. And it was usually cold at night, of course, and, but they would nevertheless take turns standing watch. The thought here of shepherds in the region of Bethlehem would, should kind of trigger back our, our memories to another shepherd in Bethlehem. Do you know who that is? David, right? David. David was a shepherd boy in Bethlehem when God sent Samuel to, to anoint him as king. And now the anointed Davidic king, the heir of the throne of David, has been born and he's announced, his birth is announced to shepherds in Bethlehem. To these shepherds in Bethlehem, an angel of the Lord suddenly appears. So we meet this uh, a second uh, uh, character here, and that is that we have shepherds, now we have the angel appear. Notice uh, Luke will use this word suddenly to, it, because it just really, it suddenly happens. It's unexpected. Out of the nowhere, in the darkness of the night, an angelic being all of a sudden appears before them. And uh, you can imagine how the, the strong contrast this would have been. Even we saw earlier in some other appearances of, of the angel that usually it's, there's light. And even then, it's a pretty major dramatic experience, so kind of almost life-altering kind of experience. But here it's in the darkness of night, and all of a sudden there's a bright light that appears, and it is an angelic being that shows up. It's, uh, you can, it was probably terrifying for them, and we do read that they were terribly frightened. They were, literally, they were frightened with a great fear. That's what it says. 
This is actually the third angelic announcement. Luke seems to like angelic announcement. He kind of he's got a thing with angels, so he says, "I want to tell you all about the, all the different angelic appearances that I've come across in my studies." And this is the third one. The first, of course, was to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. The second was to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then, as we look here, this this angelic appearance, there's a there's a similar pattern to the first to the first two. An angel appears all of a sudden, followed by a great fear by the the person that's that the angel appears to, and then the angel speaks and gives a message. That's that's the pattern. And we may be tempted; we may start classifying this as simply, oh, this is just a, a, another angelic appearance, just much like the other ones. However. We would, we, there is something different about this appearance according to the text. There's something different in this appearance that we don't find in the appearances to Zacharias and to Mary. Do you see what it is? What is it? Luke adds, there in verse 9, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. I've read that many times. <laughs> and I've read that many times. I just come across it. And so, oh, that's just, that's just the angels. That's just the angels. They're just glowing, you know. It's because, you know, we, see, we always think of angels as being glorious. They're, they're full of light. And uh, sometimes we think that that, that, that I kind of always read it as that. But as I looked at this word a little closer, it's, it's the glory of the Lord that's shown around them. This is not the glory of the angels shown around them. This is the glory of the Lord. It was like no other light that these shepherds had ever seen before. If it was daylight, it would have been brighter than daylight. And so imagine the, the, even the greater contrast in the darkest of night when this glory of the Lord shines around them. This is not the, uh, the glory of angels because this is the glory of God. Oftentimes we call this, at least in the Old Testament, or it actually became a term that was used primarily in the intertestamental period, is we used to call this the Shekinah glory of God. It is the, when God manifests himself in the world, it is accompanied with glorious, radiant, brilliant light. It is the manifestation of his presence. And so when we read here, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, what we're reading here is that God was present at this point. He is present here in a a very specific, tangible way. The glory of the Lord was shining. It It was the glory of God being manifest here as this angel appears. Now you think back, is this kind of glory something that happens, you know, occasionally in the Old Testament? No. It happens rarely. Think back to you, you guys know your Bible stories. When do we ever see the Shekinah glory? There's only a handful of times in the Old Testament where you can clearly see the Shekinah glory where God is present and there is this glorious, magnificent light. Moses on Mount Sinai, Exodus 24. With the Israelites in their desert wanderings in Exodus 34. In the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, according to Exodus 40, verse 34 and 35. And then consequently, subsequently, uh, also in the Holy of Holies when Solomon's temple is built, according to 1 Kings 8.10. And by the way, the Holy of Holies could only be entered once a year by one individual, the chief priest of Israel. So it was a rare thing for anyone to see the Shekinah glory of God. The closest it was been with that all saw was basically during the wanderings in the wilderness. When the glory of God was manifest in the cloud, pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Israel then saw. And that glory was then manifest, came and dwelt in the tabernacle and then became dwelt, and then eventually dwelt in the, tabern- in the temple. But what happened to that glory? Before the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, that glory disappeared. God's manifestation of his presence on earth in that holy of holies among the people of Israel had gone back to heaven. It was absent among Israel for 500 years. 
And here now on this day, in this day of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Shekinah glory manifests again. But not in Jerusalem, not in Rome, not to chief priests, not to the, the pro, a, a particular prophet, but to shepherds. To people like you and me. It is telling of the uniqueness of this moment in history that God has manifested, manifested himself on earth once again. It tells us that God, just as God's glory is shining, it is a, it is a, it is a picture, it is a, a pointer to the truth and the reality that God has manifested himself on earth and he has manifested himself in the form of a baby newly born whom all would come to call Emmanuel, God with us. And this is the significance. This is different. This appearance of the angel is different in this way. The question we would also need to ask ourselves is why does all of us, this angel then appear to shepherds? Why does he not appear to the chief priests? Why does he not appear to uh, King Herod? Why does he not appear to the Magi even? Or Caesar Augustus. Now Luke doesn't tell us explicitly. But we know that shepherds were considered a lowly occupation. Shepherds are basically representative of humble everyday people. Humble destitute people. Desperate people that need the Lord. Isaiah 61 records for us the mission of the Messiah. We looked at this uh, some time ago. Where the Messiah will say, says these words of himself, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. See, the Messiah would come to preach good news to whom? To the afflicted. And so it is that because that is his mission, the angels come, and when they, the first one that they declare this good news to is those who are afflicted. This, uh, by the word, the word afflicted is often translated as poor. Those who are humbled by their circumstances. The Messiah came to proclaim good news to such as these, to such people like shepherds. They know they're not rich, they're not powerful. An example of how lowly the shepherds. You remember when David was chosen as king? You know, here the prophet Samuel was coming to have lunch with Jesse and to select among his sons one of the next kings. And so he made sure that all his older sons were there. And so, but someone had to watch the sheep. And so he sent off the youngest. You know, the less, the least important task. You give to the youngest ones, right? You still can do that. That's how unimportant this task was, how lowly this task. The unimportant people are given this task. And Jesus, Jesus came. God sent his angel to make his announcement of this good news of Jesus' birth to these shepherds, the afflicted and poor. These are people who knew their need knew their need of, of a savior. Reminded just that Jesus comes to save people who, know, who also in a similar way know they need a savior. Know they have a need. In a few weeks, we're going to have a water baptism. And uh, I love water baptisms, not because I get to dunk people in water. Uh, that's kind of fun. But I love to hear the testimonies of uh, those who uh, are going, going to get baptized. And, you know, when they come and share the testimonies, you know, you, those of us in the church, you know that they don't come up and say, oh, I was such a great person. I was wonderful. And so, you know, naturally, God saved me. And nobody ever says that, right? But you know, you, you, I mean, you listen to enough of them, you know eventually what you're going to hear is you're going to hear the story of someone, though maybe they thought they were great. Maybe they thought they were fantastic. Maybe they thought they were handsome, beautiful, wise, intelligent, all that good stuff. But whatever they thought of themselves, they came to the place where they realized that they had a need. That there was something wrong with their life. 
They came to see that they were a sinner. They saw, maybe they, didn't, they, maybe they couldn't even put in those words at that point, but they saw that the, they were broken. This world is broken. Their lives are broken. They see it in their families. They see it in their relationships. They see it in their work. They see it in the things that they put their hands to. They see it in their own introspection of, their, of who they are. They may grow up in Christian homes. They may not. They're all, they come from different backgrounds, but everyone will share of their need for salvation from the curse of sin. They will share of their, a recognition of their need for something. The Bible calls that a hunger, a thirst. We, the Bible would explain it to us that it's a hunger and thirst for something that the world cannot provide, and that is a hunger and thirst for righteousness, a righteousness that only God gives us through faith in Jesus Christ. And eventually they're going to share how they came to know that, that, the, that what they needed, or who they needed really, was Jesus. We're all here in this room. We're, we're here worshiping the Lord. I, I hope none of us here are, say we're Christians, but yet don't think that we have a need. I hope all of us here have said, really, we, we're, all, we're needy people. We need a Savior. There's nobody here who's perfect. Nobody here who's not been tainted and corrupted by sin. We all have been. All of us here, none of us are greater than the other. None of us are better. None of us are more, uh, are, are, are have this advantage over others before God. We're all sinners under the curse of a holy God. And God comes to people who recognize their need. He makes this an angel in Hebrew, just as he announces it and appears to these shepherds. God comes and peers to those who are in need and shows them Christ so they might come to know him. Continuing with the text, the angel then speaks. He speaks this. He moves from the angel's uh, appearance to our second aspect of this announcement. That is the angel's announcement. Angel's announcement. This is the, the formal announcement of the angel. We read this in verses 10 to 12. And the angel's announcement is basically a message of good news. It's good news. Uh, the Greek verb for bringing good news here is where we get our English word evangelize. Evangelize. It's interesting. Luke really likes this word. With one exception in Matthew, all the other appearances, all the other uses of this verb are found in Luke. Nowhere else in the New Testament. It's kind of interesting. He uses this word evangelize. Bring good news. So the angel appears and brings good news of Jesus' birth. And we might ask ourselves, what makes the birth of Jesus good news? Well, the angel explains. The text are, in, in the text, we find ourselves six, uh, six factors, six aspects even, if you will, of this message, this good news, this birth of Jesus that makes his birth good news. Number one, this good news, as we'll learn in this text, is good news of great joy in verse 10. The birth of this, this child would be a cause for great joy. That's one of the wonderful things. You know, there are a lot of times you hear good news and it brings you joy, right? Uh, maybe uh, uh, you heard uh, someone, got, someone you, you know got engaged. Oh, I'm really happy. That's great news. Maybe you heard they got uh, someone they're expecting. And you say, oh, that's great news. You, you want to jump for joy for them. Maybe you, you hear some good news like, oh, someone got a promotion. Oh, that's great news. You're excited. Oftentimes, good news brings joy. But this is good news that brings great joy. It's a joy. It's, it's really, how would I describe this great joy? It's great joy is, is when you hear good news like this, you want to throw a party. That's, that's the best way you can describe it. In fact, that's how the Bible describes it, kind of. Luke 15. Remember the parables of the, the, lost, uh, the lost coin, the lost, uh, the lost sheep, uh, lost son? Every time when that which is lost is found, what happens? In those parables, someone rejoices and someone calls people together and say, let's have a party. Ultimately, Jesus says that there is more joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's great joy in heaven. There's a celebration over one sinner who repents. That's how, that's how profound it is when the gospel impacts and intersects our lives. And we take it for granted, sadly, too often. That first Christmas, there was no exchanging of gifts, no decorations, no hearty meals, no Christmas carols, no family gatherings. Yet there was great joy 
because of the birth of Jesus Christ. What brings you joy as you celebrate Christmas this season? What if, and maybe it's for some of you, this is a reality. What if there are no gifts this year, no decorations, no hearty meals, no family gatherings? I'm sure I think we'd miss some of those things. We might be a little sad. might feel a little pity of ourselves. But if you have Christ, then you have a reason for great joy this Christmas. The angel brought good news of great joy. Let us not forget the source of that joy, and that is the, it is the good news. It is the good news of the fact that Jesus has been born. There's a second aspect or second factor here of the why it's good news, Jesus' birth is good news. Is that it's, it's, good, it's good news for all the people, according to verse 10. It is the good news of great joy for all the people. Uh, it is very likely here, all the people, sometimes can refer to basically just all the people that are in that area or in that are referenced. But a lot of times, this, all the people has a technical sense of all the Israelite people, the people, usually the article with this word in Luke, it refers to the Israelite nation, the Jewish people. And that is, and I believe that is the, the case here. Israel, that this good, good news of great joy is for all of Israel. It will be especially for Israel because they will all of a sudden know this joy. All of them will know the joy of the fact that the promises of God that have been made to them and through aid to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are now going to be or will be fulfilled in this child who was born in Bethlehem. And yet, even though this, this promise of joy is specifically referenced here to Israel as a nation, we do not have to limit the hope of joy to only the Jewish people. Because the point of this text is that the joy is not just for some of the Jews, but it's for all of the Jews. Basically, there's no limitation to the, how far this, this joy reaches throughout the nation of Israel. There's no favoritism with God. He brings salvation to all of his people. Furthermore, even by, we get a hint of this by verse 14. We learn that God offers peace to people throughout the earth. And for sure we know this because Luke and by Acts chapter 10 will record that salvation will extend all the way to the Gentiles as well. So the good news of great joy is not just for the Jews, but it's for the, it's for the and it's not just, it's for the Greeks and Gentiles as well. It's not just for, for those who are slaves, it's for those, or no, and not just for those who are free. It's not just for men, it's not just for women. It's not just for any one group of people. The good, <clears throat> the good news of the gospel is for Everyone. It's for all the people. That's the uh, second factor. Then also thirdly, factor number three, the birth of Jesus is good news because it's news about the Savior. It's the news about a Savior. That's what makes this news so good. And these, verse 11 is, is the key passage in that it really highlights for us the significance of who that baby is that was born in Bethlehem. Today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior. This baby who was born for you today is a Savior. And we're reminded again, this, what, is this, what did he come to save them from? He did not come to save them from political oppression. He never did deliver them from uh, Caesar or Rome. He did not come to deliver them from physical slavery even. He came to save them from their oppression and slavery to sin. In Matthew 121, the call to worship that we read this morning, the angel, gave, the angel appeared to Joseph and told him regarding Mary that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came, was born to be a savior, to save his people from our sins. And he came to save us from our sins by dying for them on the cross. Our sins deserve that eternal punishment that none of us could pay. But God's love made a way. He sent us his son who would, who would come and be born and then live and then die on the cross for our sins. John, 1 John 4.14 says, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. He died for the sins of the world so that whoever believes in him should not perish. That's John 3.16. But that we may have eternal life. And this is the heart of the good news. That the, that the birth of Jesus 
and is a is the arrival, the coming of our Savior. When we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating the birth of our Savior. This is the heart of our good news. It's what brings us great joy because we know that in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. This more to this good news is not just a Savior, but we also learn, verse 11, that the angel's announcement here, that it's good news of great joy because it's about the Christ. The angel tells the shepherds that the Savior is also the Christ. And this is significant, especially for the Israelite people, because the Christ, or the anointed one, the Messiah, if you translate to the Hebrew, this anointed one is someone that Israel had been looking for. It's the, the one whom they believed that all the fulfillments, all the promises of the Old Testament would be fulfilled in this anointed one. This anointed descendant of David would sit on the king of throne, on the king, on the throne of David forever. And who would reign over them? He would have, his government would have no end. His peace would have no end. This was the one whom they were looking for. And now when he says that when the angel announces to the shepherds that the one whom you're looking for has come. He is the Christ. You've been looking for the Christ. Here he is. Not only is he, and so we, as we, we see that this Jesus who is born is the Savior, and he's also the Messiah, the Christ, the fulfillment of all of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Third, uh, fifthly, and we see another reason for this good news. It's because it's good news of great joy because it's about the Lord. That this baby that was born <clears throat> is the Lord. He's called the Lord of all things. This word, uh, <clears throat> kurios, is the Greek word kurios. In the Greek Old Testament, it's a significant word because it's used to translate the Hebrew name for God. The, the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, is all consistently translated in the Greek Old Testament as kurios. And so this child is, where it conveys, really conveys to them is not only, he's not just human, he is 100% human, but he is also the Lord, that he's divine, he's the son of God. He is God in the flesh. This is the, the wonder of the incarnation. <clears throat> he is the Son of God. He has divine, he is deity and divine, and therefore he has the divine authority over all who would over all mankind. And that's why when we come to him. A lot of times, we, we, a lot of times the people like to make a dichotomy. Oh, you, can, you just need to accept Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. You know, you've heard that uh, dichotomy. Later on, you can acknowledge him as, as Lord. But when you receive Jesus, you must receive him for all that he is. You can't just say, well, I'm just going to take part of Jesus, the Savior part, but not receive the fact that he's Lord, that he's God, and therefore he's someone I need to obey and submit to. He is both... Savior, Christ, and Lord. Uh, there's a, a fifth and final thing that we find here about that, that uh, the birth of this child is good news because it is news that is basically, it's, I put down, that is verifiable. It's something that can be seen for ourselves. Although the angel doesn't tell direct, directly tell the shepherds to go look for this child, the words of the angel imply that they would because he tells them in verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You know, if someone tells you this, here's the sign of something, uh, you basically are going to go look for that sign. And so he says, and this is the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. There may have been other babies born in that day in Bethlehem. There were probably a lot of newborn babes. Uh, and they would have very commonly all been wrapped in swaddling cloths. But there would have been only one baby. It would have been the odd thing. To find a newborn baby wrapped in cloths and placed in a manger. Last week we looked at this. In a feeding trough. Something that's used for the animals. Here is Christ the Lord, the glorious Son of God, placed in the most humble of beds. A feeding trough. A place for slop. For hay.
No one would have missed it. 2,000 years have passed since that birth. And the good news of his birth can still be found. We can find the good news because it's recorded for us in the scripture. That's why Luke writes this book of the gospel. So we might know for sure. He has done the research. He has recorded for us. And he writes for us all these details. If you can prove, disprove any single one of the details in the gospel of Luke, then you can just throw out the, the story of Jesus' birth. But Luke's, but try as they might, there are many scholars who have uh, sought to disprove this book or to show that it is historically inaccurate, have often come to, bow, to bend their knee instead. If you're here, you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ. The truths of Jesus and who he is can still be found today. If you would just look to his word, this book, read the gospel of Luke, which keeps, come study with us. And you can find about the truth about Jesus here in these books. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four different witnesses of who Jesus is, and you'll find the truth. We conclude then uh, with, so we have the angel's announcement. That's why it's good news, a great joy. It's because it's for all the people. It's about our Savior. It's about the coming of the Christ. It's about the Lord made flesh. And it is something that can be seen and verified as the shepherds went to verify it. We conclude now with the third aspect of the announcement of the Savior's birth that gives us hope and joy. And that is the angel's anthem. Notice there the apostrophe is now after the S, not before the S. The angels, plural, anthem. In verse 13, 14, we read about the sudden appearance of a whole host of angels, multitude of the heavenly host. All of a sudden, you know, can you imagine? It was, it was amazing to have one angel, but then to have a multitude of angels appear. And this just shows you how much more significant this event is. That the whole, that the, a multitude of the heavenly hosts come down and appear on earth, praising God, along with the Shekinah glory of God. It's, you can almost sense it's like, it's like the angels couldn't wait for this moment. It was going to be a surprise party, birthday party. And they say, <laughs> surprise! The Messiah has been born. They all come down and they all burst out in praise. The heavenly chorus makes two very clear, distinct, parallel statements here. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men. Two statements. Glory will parallel peace. God parallels men. The highest that is in heaven parallels the earth. The first statement is that glory to God in the highest. That is, the angels, when they sing about this, they sing about how God deserves all the glory. Angels recognize they've been watching this all take place, all be fulfilled. They've been sent by God in various occasions throughout the history of humankind to effect and bring about the plan of salvation on behalf of God. And so now, finally, when the Son of God, the very one whom they had just a few moments earlier seen at the seated at the next to God the Father in glory, now they see in the form of finite human human being. And not just a strong, the mightiest of human beings, but among the weakest of human beings, a little baby. And they cannot help but say, glory to God in the highest. How amazing is this that God would use a little baby to bring about the salvation of mankind. And so they praise, give praise to God. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in heaven. But next, their, second, their second statement is, a, is, a, is a, a statement that focuses now on earth. And peace on earth. Peace being that usually the uh, equivalent of the Hebrew shalom. Not just meaning uh, the absence of conflict, but this, this wellness of life. The blessedness of life. Peace on earth. Peace on earth upon these men. For these God on men who live on earth can now know shalom. But they will know shalom. There's no specific, there's additional phrase there. Peace on earth, according to verse 14. 
among men with whom he is pleased. Uh, it's really with whom he is pleased. It's just one word in, in the Greek. It's this word that means goodwill. It means, literally, it's peace among men of goodwill. Whose goodwill? That is God's goodwill. That is God's favor. That when God shows peace to men on earth, it is, it is to those whom he shows his favor upon. Peace is a salvation. Peace and salvation, and the uh, forgiveness of sins is a gift of God's grace. He shows it to whomever and whoever that He wishes to show grace to. The angels were in awe of God. They gave praise to Him, and they declared. And not only is there glory to God, but now there is from this point on peace on earth among men with whom he is pleased. Jesus, the birth of Jesus is good news. And so the angels sing out in praise of God. This will be a great joy. And this hopefully, and, I, and the question for us, or the application for us is what does, if this causes praise among the angels in heaven, what should it do for you and me? It should basically say, cause you to say, Pastor Henry, sit down so I can sing a couple hymns of praise to God right now. Stephen, Beck, Mariah, come on up here right now. Stan, Stan, you got to come up here. We just need to sing praise right now because this is good news of great joy that just I need to sing praise to God. This is where if we were another church, you would say amen. Okay. Well, we're not that kind of church, all right, so you don't have to say it. But, uh, you know, if you know the peace of God, then the joy of the angel course should be your joy as well. Okay, you know, it's going to be quiet. I know we're going to be like this. And, but the examples of the angelic praise encourages us to praise God heavenly pen word but on earth like the angels i think it's an encouragement for us to like the angels to declare to the world to to our fellow men yes there is now peace on earth as possible peace but it's peace not that's with fellow man but it's peace with god is now possible through the birth of this savior and that's our one of our our great privileges to bring the gospel of the birth of the Son, who especially this Christmas season, it can, it's just easy to lead into the gospel presentation, sharing of Christ and what he's done and who, uh, and who he is and his significance for us. And it's something that gives us hope and gives us joy. Well, that's all we find in this text. Um, this is a mess. This gospel, this good news of great joy was a, it brought great hope for the people of Israel in the days of, uh, in the days of, uh, of Jesus. And, but throughout human history, it continues to bring great hope and joy. It brings great hope and joy even now for our imprisoned brothers and sisters across the world in China. Uh, it was yesterday night, I went to the web and I read the most recent report. Uh, just kind of there's a there's an update that's going on just uh, from the church. That I guess uh, whoever's still unar- not being arrested is giving reports of what's taking place. And basically, they write uh, this was written basically their Sunday morning, so it's like about uh, sixteen hours ahead of us or something like that. And this is what they wrote. And I take the time to read it because it's it's pretty powerful. According to the command of scripture, this is their 18th update, by the way. Today is the Lord's day, a day to worship God. Even though most brothers and sisters are under the supervision and control of community authorities at their homes, and more than a dozen brothers, sisters, pastors, and preachers are in prison, those brothers and sisters who can still freely leave their homes went to our church sanctuary in the Jiangxin building, as usual, to prepare to meet the Lord. The metal gate below the building where the church is was locked, and every entrance had many plainclothes police officers and SWAT team officers presenting, preventing people from entering the church. They took away some of the brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters then conducted a small-scale worship meeting at a nearby park, which was also shut down by police. Police took away more than 30 brothers and sisters. And guys talks about something that happened the previous evening. They had basically harassed some of the members of the church. And then start, this is the current situation. And then they conclude with this final, uh, this paragraph. Lord, today we worship you in police cars. 
We worship you in police stations. We worship you in detention centers. We worship you in prisons. We worship you in homes. We have no other goal except to worship you alone. We ride in buses heading to the police stations as though riding down the road to Zion. For you tell us, Lord, that you are looking for worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. May you be pleased with our worship. We have nothing to offer you but our hearts. We offer them up sincerely to you now. Wherever I am, whatever I meet, I will follow your will forever. That was issued by the Early Rain Covenant Church um, this morning at 10.30 a.m. their time. What gives a church such joy, such hope, that they would continue to worship God in the face of arrest, imprisonment, is the gospel. The gospel, the good news of great joy. And it strengthens the church in Chengdu, may it strengthen this church as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope and the joy that is found in the good news of the announcement of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we are humbled that you would make known to us this great plan of salvation through your word. Lord, we did not deserve it. None of us could have ever earned it or even well ever earn it. But Lord, you and your grace and mercy have made known to us this wonderful salvation in your son. We thank you for sending and sacrificing your very own son, your only begotten son, who would die in our place so that we might have not only forgiveness of sins, but we might have a reconciled relationship with you, our God and our creator, so that we would know peace forevermore. That we would know peace that stands against every circumstance that we might experience in this life. No matter how much sin continues to impact our life, we have this joy. No matter how much despair and trials might challenge us, we have this hope. No matter what, Lord, what trials that will, that will still are ahead of us, Lord, we have you. We have your son, Jesus Christ, because he is a gift from you given to us. And Lord, certainly we who celebrate the Christmas this season are reminded again of what a great treasure and how much we need Jesus. Father, we pray that you would continue to strengthen your church around the world, strengthen this church, cause us to respond and praise to you, to declare that you deserve all the glory, but Father, cause us to be faithful in telling the world that there is now peace possible on earth because of the birth of your son. Father, we pray that you would continue to cause your gospel to go forth and use your church wherever it is around the world to magnify your name. And Lord, we pray glory to you in the heavens, in the highest. You are worthy, Lord, of all our praise. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.